Welcome back to the Religionless Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Jeff Turner, and thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, I'm going to say a collection of words that I've been saying every time I put out a podcast. It's a collection of words that I have to say because of the frequency with which I've been putting out podcasts, but it's been a minute, and I apologize for that. I've got a few interviews and conversations lined up over the next few weeks, and hopefully we'll be getting some new stuff to you soon. In the meantime, though, I wanted to share with you a talk or a message I recently gave at a church called I Am, A Theory of Time and Timelessness. Now, this is not like a strictly theological lesson or anything like that. It's a little bit more abstract and metaphorical than anything else, but a message that's close to my heart and one I thought could be of benefit to you, at least I hope so. So that's what I've got for you today. Before we go into the message, though, I did want to ask you to please consider joining us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash religionless, the links to which will appear in the show notes. If you believe in the work that we're doing, if you believe in the messages that we're sharing, the books that we're writing, and the kind of community and culture we're trying to create, uh, please consider joining us. It really goes a long way. There are costs, of course, involved and associated with maintaining a podcast and doing the other things we do, and so your contributions, monthly or one-time, which you can give one-time through PayPal as well, link to which will also appear in the show notes, it really goes a long way to help us continue to do what we're doing, and it really, really means the world. So if you would, go ahead and click on that link, just check it out, and again, all of this really goes a long way to help us continue doing what we're doing. Now, without any further ado, I hope you enjoy this brand new talk I gave just a couple of weeks ago called I Am, A Theory of Time and Timelessness. Thanks again for joining, and enjoy. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him from out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. How many of you guys know all ground is holy? But sometimes when you walk smack dab into the sacred, you just recognize it for what it's always been. <laughs> he said, Further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now, we're going to skip a few verses. What happens in between is simply God commissions Moses to go back to Pharaoh, tell him to let the Israelites go. You know the story. We pick up in verse 13, and Moses says to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent you. Now just hold on to that. We'll come back to it in a minute. And let me just talk here for a moment, okay? Time, what is it? (laughs) Heck if I know. St. Augustine once said, I I think I know what time is until someone asks me. And then the moment they ask me, I realize I don't think I know what time is. Plato said, or he's said to have said, that time is the moving image of eternity. Time is the moving image of eternity. I'm going to put forth a theory of time to you this morning And we're going to circle back to Moses and get into Paul as well. But I'm going to put forth an idea, and we're going to play with it this morning. And whether you agree with this idea or not really matters not. This is more just about how you can apply a principle to your life. Understand? 
Okay, so Plato says time is the moving image of eternity. What does that mean? Well, for one, I'm in alignment and in agreement with that basic thought. What this would mean, well, it begs the question, what is eternity? If time is the moving image of eternity, what is eternity? Well, again, all we can do is theorize because no one really knows. <laughs> but if I had to take a stab at it, I would say eternity is a state of divine isness. <laughs> Whether or not that's a word is anyone's guess. Isness, I-S-ness. It's a state of eternal, it's just isness. Nothing is coming into being. Nothing is passing out of being. Nothing has occurred and nothing is going to occur. Everything just simply is. Nothing is receding into the past, and nothing is passing into the future. Everything just exists in a state of blessed isness. St. Augustine, who said he thinks he knows what time is until someone asks him, also commented on time, saying that time clearly is a creature, and a creature means a creation. It is something that was made. It did not always exist. It came into being at creation. Why would God bring time into being at creation? Here's where we might get a little weird, but let's just have fun, okay? In certain sects of Judaism, there is a thought concerning how it is that God streams his presence to us and into us without destroying us. Okay, because how many of you know if you just stood in the absolute unfiltered presence of God, you would probably quickly pass out of being and be assimilated back into the divine isness that is God. And, you know, because what we are in right now is finite. Okay, we come forth from the eternal, but what we are physically is finite matter. Okay, can't be destroyed, but in this form, it can be jacked up pretty severely. <laughs> right? So, Certain rabbis were toying and tinkering with problems that they saw in the Genesis accounts of creation. There's two different accounts of creation in Genesis, but they were, they were examining problems they saw in these accounts. And the problem they were trying to address was, how could God, who is infinite light, be able to create something that is finite without immediately consuming what he created? Right. So once we come forth from God in the act of creation... How could we, who are now created as finite, possibly stand in the presence of the infinite without being consumed by it? And so they came up with this concept that's called simsum. And the word basically means to recede, to pull back a little bit. And so the idea that they came up with was this, that, look, nothing that's created could possibly exist or continue to exist without being filled with and upheld by the presence of God. You know, creation doesn't work that God just kind of speaks you into being and then pulls away from you and says, well, if you want to pursue a relationship with me in the future, you know my number and you know my address. No, we live and move and have our being in him. We have no being without him. No human being has ever been separated from God. That is a lie. It cannot be. No human being can be separated from God. The tracks that show you man on one side of, of some great gulf and God on the other side of some great gulf, those are distortions of the truth. You live and move and have your being in God, and you always have. You have not always known it. That's what the gospel's for. 
But you cannot possibly be separated from a God in whom you live and move and have your being. You have no being outside of him. His presence, I mean, that's what Paul said his gospel was all about. To make known among the Gentiles a mystery that's been hidden from the beginning, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. He didn't say this just became true after the resurrection. He said this truth has been concealed and hidden for generations. And his mission was to go to the Gentiles and specifically show them how it was Christ has always been present with and in them. And that's why Paul's gospel has a little bit of a different flair to it than Peter's and James's and the Jerusalem church's gospel. Paul's is influenced in many ways by what he saw of Christ as present in Gentile culture. Look at how he preached to the Athenians, right? He pulls from poets and prophets of their own belief system. Epimenides and Eratus, that's where the words, in him we live and move and have our being, come from. That's where Paul's words, we are his offspring, come from. He sees in their own culture, even in their own religion, even though he calls them from their idols, he sees how the living Christ that permeates everything has always been speaking to them. Okay, this is what St. Augustine said, all of creation has been pregnant with the gospel, basically. And the gospel is just simply to tell you, hey, this is what you've been carrying all these years. No one is without the presence of God, is all I'm saying. Little rabbit trail, but it was a good one. <laughs> you live, move, and have your being in him. His presence is in you. And so in this Jewish way of thinking, they're like, well, the presence of God has to always be streaming into us like light through a fiber optic cable. But it can't be like full on or it would fry our circuits and blow our fuses. So this theory was come up with, and this is the Zimsum idea, that God essentially filters his presence to us. So it's still the presence of God that, that we are enlivened by and full of, but it's just not like full on, here I am, you're gone. <laughs> so it's a filter through which God streams God's self to us in ways that we can handle. That's the idea. And then there's also the idea inherent in that belief system that there are certain places where the filter is a little thinner, <laughs> you know, where the filter is not as thickly woven as it is in other places. And so Jerusalem, in their mind, would be one such place where, where you can more readily feel the divine as the divine because what we daily walk in and experience as God is just what we've come to know as life, so we don't always notice it. So in this way of thinking, there are places and there are times where the filter thins a little bit, and you're like, ooh, what was that? And it's a reminder that it's what you're always in. You just don't always think to comment on it because it's just what it is to be alive. So that's the idea. My theory of time works similarly to this. I believe eternity is a reality in which God exists, in which all things just simply are. Nothing happens to God. Nothing is happening. It all has happened, but that's even a faulty way of speaking about it because to say it has happened suggests time. It just is. There's no was and there's no will be. There is just now, and even that's problematic language because speaking of isness suggests wasness and will be-ness, and so that's just the limitation of language. But eternity is just everything now. And time is a filter placed over eternity. So what is eternally can be streamed to us in a way that feels like a progression. That's why John can say, 
Jesus is the lamb slain from before earth's foundations were laid. How can that be? That was an event that, that took place in history just 2,000 years ago. A blink of an eye in terms of human history. Not to mention the history of the universe and the cosmos. But it happened before earth's foundations were laid. Well, how does that work? How can Paul say that we were created in Christ and chosen in Christ before time began? Right? How can Jesus say in the Gospel of John, before Abraham, a historical figure, before Abraham was, before he popped into time, I still am. I am. Not before Abraham was, well, I've been there. But before Abraham was, I am. Because eternity is being streamed to us through the filter of time. It's a filter through which we experience what to God just simply is. And we see it play itself out as kind of a narrative, as a timeline, as history. But as far as God's concerned, it's always been. It's always been. Now again, we're just playing with an idea this morning. But if this is the case, and if time is a filter, that would also suggest that it's possible that there are times, for lack of a better term, where that filter thins a little bit and more of the eternal leaks through into time and where we experience what to us feel like passing fleeting moments that we can't hold on to seem to stick a little more because the eternal bleeds into them more fully than it normally does. So consider Moses. He's going about his daily tasks doing what he does. And he sees something. He sees a bush that's on fire, but that is not consumed. Now, in a super dry climate, seeing a bush that is on fire is probably not that crazy of a sight. But seeing a bush that is on fire that is not consumed, now that's something worth stopping and thinking about and commenting on. It's not the fact that it's on fire. It's the fact that it's not being burnt up that makes him stop. Now, let's get back into this theoretical time talk for a moment and eternity. Just think about this with me. The eternal, everything just is. Perfect isness. Nothing will be, nothing was. Isness. If that shows up in the creation of time that demands things take place progressively, right? If that shows up in its own creation of time, what would it have to look like? Well, I, I, I don't know. Again, no one knows, but we can venture a guess. And here's the guess that I'm venturing, that if that shows up in the creation of time, which demands things take place progressively, if something that is not subject to progress shows up in this created filter that demands things happen progressively, what would it look like? Well, my idea is it would probably show up as something that's in a rapid state of progress and evolution, because to reach that perfected state, it would have to be moving very fast. But what if it chooses as its point of manifestation in time an object that is in an accelerated state of entropy? Now, we're all subject to entropy. We're all getting older. Hair gets grayer. Faces get wrinkled. You know, clothes wear out. Buildings wear out. 
grass has to be mowed. I mean, everything is kind of in a state of, of degradation, physically speaking, some of that being cyclical. It replays itself out over and over again, but it's still entropy. And everything is kind of subject to that in this reality. This bush has already been the victim of entropy. It's dried up enough that it can catch fire, so it's already dead. But now it's in an advanced state of entropy because it's being... It's passing away more quickly now because it's on fire. And so you've got, I mean, in a desert climate, you've got a few minutes left, bush, tops. You're gone. <laughs> but then the eternal chooses this as its point of manifestation. And timelessness meets something that is being subject to time. And what happens? This sort of stasis is achieved. And it freezes. And though the bush burns, it's not consumed. Though the bush burns, it remains as it is. Because the eternal has stepped into time, and this arboreal apparition tells the tale. Now, I have a question for you. <laughs> is it possible... to interact with this creation of time in such a way that we can call forth from it the eternity that is there. Because we live as though we're victims of time, don't we? The way we speak about time, we speak of time as though it's our adversary. There's never enough time. <laughs> there's not enough time in the day. There's not enough time in the week. There's not enough time in the year. There's not enough time in the decade. Time is just slipping through my fingers. That's how we talk about it. We talk as though we are just victims being di digested in the acidic stomach juices of this beast called time, slowly being dissolved, eaten away, eaten up. Time is not on my side. That's how we talk. But what if it could be? <laughs> what if it could be? William Blake, the intro to Auguries of Innocence. So what's the line? He says, uh, um, to, see, to see heaven in a grain of sand and... And uh, something in a wild flower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity and see eternity in an hour. <laughs> Is there a way that we can interact with time that calls forth from it the eternity that is there so time no longer feels to us like an adversary? Can we interact with time in such a way that it's no longer an enemy? It no longer represents lack to us, but it represents abundance to us. Could time be the meager lunch brought to Jesus when he's looking out at a crowd of 5,000 and they say, hey, this is all we got, but uh, we've also got this, and uh, this ain't going to be enough. Had Jesus interacted with that physical matter the way that everyone else was interacting with that physical matter, there would not have been enough. And the crowds would have dispersed. But because Jesus interacted with it differently than everyone else did, it became more for him than it would have otherwise become. How does Jesus inter interact with it? He lifts it up and says he gives thanks to his father, and then he just distributes it like, obviously, there's enough. So what is the divine voice that speaks from the bush that burns but is not consumed telling us? Well, how does God identify God's self in this instance? 
Who should I say sent me? I am. Not I was, not I will be, not I'm working on becoming, not I have been, not I spend most of my time doing this and a little of my time doing this, but you know, this, this is who I you know, generally identify as being. No, I am. Not identified by what has happened, not I regret that I didn't, not that I hope someday I can so that I can prove to myself that I'm this, that, or the other. No, the voice simply says, I am. And it is that I amness that enters into time and presses pause on entropy and causes something that would have otherwise just burned up and been gone to stop. And Moses takes his shoes off because he realizes how holy the ground he was standing on really was. It is this principle of I am, I believe, that causes the filter of time to thin and more of eternity to leak through so that moments that might otherwise just slip through our fingers become imbued by eternity and themselves become eternal. My life is filled with such moments, and they mark me. And I am who I am because of such moments. I've been an atheist. I've been mostly a materialist. I've, I've explored all different modes of spirituality. The thing that's kept me tethered to the numinous is mo are moments like this. In moments where I had zero faith left and was really ready to just pull the plug and hit the eject button on the whole thing and maybe take some structures down with me as I went because I was done with it all. <laughs> the thing that kept me tethered to the idea of the numinous were these moments that I just stumbled upon here and there through life. I'm a person who's bent toward the mystical. I'm a person, I can't help it, I've just always seen and experienced things, but those aren't the moments I'm talking about. The moments I'm talking about aren't the ones that really make for the good stories. They're really ones that make very poor stories, except for the one who was there in them. One such moment for me, I'll never forget it. I can't forget it. It was my family, it was the first time I was able to take my family to Disney World about maybe 14 years ago early, maybe 2008-ish, so whatever that was. And my kids were young. My son was maybe two, my daughter three or four. And, you know, we'd seen everything. You know, we'd all, all the magic that is Disney and all the lights and sounds and fireworks and characters, we, we'd seen it, and it was great. My kids were having fun and having a blast. We'd filled up on sugar, spent way more money than any human being should ever spend in a day, you know, because that's what happens, you know, there. And then, you know, my wife and daughter, my, my youngest, Abigail, wasn't born yet. I think they were probably using the restroom or something, I don't know. And I'm just pushing my son in the stroller. And I'm just walking around, and I, I round this corner to this little section of the parks that's no longer there, and it was just this kind of, there was this, uh, just some flowers and some benches around it, that's all it was. And I'm just pushing him back there. And all of a sudden, I just feel like whew, everything just slows. And in this moment, I didn't care about anything that has been. I didn't care about anything that would be. I was perfectly content to be in the moment that I was in. 
There was no anxiety about the future. There was no regret over the past. There was no shame over the past. There was no fear, nothing. All of it, all of those, see, I'm here, and then I'm tethered to the past and tethered to the future, and they're constantly pulling at me. In that moment, they all just converged, and I am, and I just I would say I was, but that kind of goes against what I'm trying to talk about. But in that moment, I just, I ammed. <laughs> and I was just there. Nothing magical happened. Jesus himself didn't show up and give me a high five and say, good job, kiddo. I mean, I was just pushing my son in a stroller. That's it. That's it. Sorry if I disappointed you, but that's as crazy as the story gets. <laughs> but for me, who was there in that moment, experiencing nothing but the bliss of pure contentment and I amness, everything just slowed. And I remember thinking to myself, I will never forget this moment. And I've never forgotten that moment. And even while I'm talking about it right now, I feel all the emotions of it. I can feel the grips of that particular stroller in my hands. I can, I can see my son. I can feel how god-awfully hot it was that day. I, I, I'm there again when I think about it. It was fleeting. It happened like that. It was a burning bush. Should have just been gone. Plenty of other moments from that day I don't remember. But that one, oh, I am, never leaves me. And I can go back there anytime. Literally, talking about it, I'm back there. I'm in the moment again. It's eternal. Because I, I am in that moment, it was like the filter thinned. Eternity bled through. And that moment is now stamped and marked by eternity. It is not affected by time. It's, I am. Another one I can remember, it, was, it would have been before this now, my daughter, we only had my daughter who graduates in like a couple of weeks here. <sighs> <laughs> and uh, you got one too? I'm with you, man. <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> Um, she was little. She was not even one yet, I don't think. And we were living in um, kind of like a manufactured home at the time. It was our first place we'd ever bought. And so the windows sat a little lower, you know, than they might in a, they might otherwise. And she wasn't walking yet. And she had crawled over there and she'd pulled herself up on this windowsill. She could pull herself up on it. It was, it was low enough for her. And I'm sitting on the couch and I just look over and there's my little girl. <laughs> wearing this multicolored striped tank top, these yellow shorts, her dark black hair pulled up into a little ponytail that fell like a little water spout. And the sun was streaming through the windows in just such a way, magic hour, you know, bathing the room in this orangish golden light. I could smell the burning broquettes from my charcoal grill, you know, wafting through the screen door. And I just, Again, I mean, it lasted seconds, seconds. But in that moment, eternity bled through. And I can remember everything about that moment. Still, what she was wearing, what, the, what it felt like, what it smelt like, I, the holes that were in the walls that the former owners left where they used to, they had a, some kind of picture hanging and we never put anything over it. And it was just everything about that moment, it just... And that moment is eternal. 
It is eternal. It is unaffected by time. It's there. It's a bush that should have been consumed but was not because in that moment, I, I amed. And eternity bled through and marked that moment, and it will never leave my mind. I'm tearing up talking about it because it's so real to me. It still exists. It is not in the past. It's here with me. And my life is marked by such moments that opened me up to the idea of such a thing being a possibility because it can't just be that, it can't just be some kind of natural phenomenon. Those are the most divine things about my life. And I've seen the undeniably supernatural with my eyes, what we think of as being the undeniably supernatural. But nothing touches that, man. Nothing can lay a finger on those moments because that is eternity. That is I am. Now, I promise I'm wrapping up, but let me read a little New Testament. Bob, I'm with you, man. Okay. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I don't know why I said it like that. It was kind of creepy. <laughs> the love chapter. First, first Corinthians 13, 1 Corinthians 13.1. If I speak in the tongue... Now, just listen carefully to this as I read it. Think about what we've talked about already. And just listen to these words. If I speak in the tongues of humans and of angels, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they'll come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge of the supernatural sort, where one can understand and fathom all mysteries and knowledge. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love remain, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Paul using hyperbolic language, begins by saying, look, if I speak in the tongues of humans and angelic beings, I'm not just talking normal tongue talking here, guys, but if I'm, if I'm all the way to angelic chatter level tongue talk, but I don't have love, I'm just banging on a gong. <laughs> if I have prophetic such prophetic prowess that I can fathom and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Notice later on, he says, now it's only possible to know in part. So he's being hyperbolic, right? 
because later he says, you can't really have that level here, but let's just say I did. <laughs> but I don't have love. Big deal. <laughs> if I give myself to be burned as a martyr, he says, but love is not the furnace fueling that action, big deal. <laughs> he then goes on to say, look, all of these things, the undeniably supernatural, he ramps it up just so we get the picture. He's not just talking about the kind of like daily sacrifices you and I have to make following Jesus in America, because I know it's rough on us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We got to put up with mean comments on Facebook sometimes. And oh, mama, so hard. <laughs> you know, he's like, so not just your average run-of-the-mill persecution, but I mean, giving your body up to be burned. He's taking it to an extreme. Not just, you know, the, the, the glossolalic gift of speaking in other tongues, but, you know, this, this, this understanding and fathoming of angelic tongues and not just prophetic powers that are normal in the church, but so intense that you can understand all mysteries and all knowledge. I mean, if, we, if I'm doing these things to the extreme, Paul says, to the point where it's absolutely undeniably supernatural, no one could look at me and say, oh, he's just cold reading, or he, he looked up some of this information about these people on Facebook before, that's how his words seem so accurate. And, you know, it, there's like no fakery involved. No one could ever, no one could ever accuse me of being anything other than moving in the supernatural. He's like, undeniable. But if I don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. And he says, look, love never ends, but the undeniably supernatural does. Because when that which is perfect comes, at the eschaton, at the end of all things, whatever one and however one believes that goes down, I don't care. None of us know. So you're welcome to your theories. But however it all goes down, when it goes down, and perfection shows up, well, we won't need these things anymore because we'll know even as we are known. So these things will pass away, but love will not. In fact, he says, these three will remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So love at the end, at the eschaton, at the dissolution of all things that we know and interact with, all of this will pass except for love. Faith, hope, and love, love being the greatest of these. That is the truest thing. That is the realest thing. And so it doesn't matter how undeniably supernatural our lives might be. If our lives are not marked and saturated in love, it's not eternal. But the smallest gesture done in love thins the filter and eternity bleeds through and... <laughs> This simple act you did that my disciples are chiding you for, washing my feet, this will be attached to the gospel forever. Even though future apostles are condemning you for it, claiming we could have sold this and given it to the poor. <laughs> yeah, like, you really care about the poor. <laughs> it's like, this simple gesture, in fact, this wasteful gesture I mean, the disciples were kind of right. It could have been sold to fund and fuel their mission. 
And it really kind of was wasted as far as just the material thing was concerned, right? The pouring of this expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. I mean, it's kind of a waste, <laughs> but it was done with love. And so what happens? Jesus himself says, wherever my story is told, her story will be told. It will be forever attached to the gospel. That simple act became eternal because it was love and it thinned the filter. And what should have just passed and maybe even been criticized is now a bush that burns but is not consumed. And we all take our shoes off when we think about it. And realize how holy this ground is. And all the ministry crap stuff that I was doing back in the days. Ministry crap, sorry. You know what I was trying to say. <laughs> Just because I didn't say the P doesn't mean you know, didn't know what I was saying. All that stuff. So much of it I don't remember. Thanks. And, and that's mercy, yes. But like so many of the nights that I spent. My 12 years as a pastor, I've been in ministry for almost 20 years now, 12 of those were spent as a pastor. So many of the nights I spent away from my family at pointless prayer meetings. Now, I don't mean that a prayer meeting is pointless, but it was just stuff we're doing to put on the calendar. There's not, it's fine. Prayer meetings are fine. I'm not criticizing that. But like for me, you know, you got a calendar you got to fill. You got to look like you're doing something. You got you to gotta show that you're worthy of your paycheck. So you've got to have a calendar full of events and full of stuff, and, and that's all fine and dandy and good, and it really truly is. But for me as a young husband and father, most of the time just leaving my wife and kids at home because does my wife really want to come and do all this and dragging three little kids with her? Meanwhile, I show up, I'm the big man, you know, and she's got three little kids. Like, that's garbage, man. That's nonsense. That's not sacrifice on my part in being noble. That's trash that I shouldn't have been doing. I don't remember that stuff. I don't remember that stuff. I, I, I remember that it happened, but none of those moments are marked in my mind as like, oh, none of those moments are. It's pushing my son in the stroller. It's watching my daughter look out the window. And how many of those moments did I miss when I was out doing these other things I thought were eternal that don't last, that burn up in seconds? They're gone. <sighs> how many of these moments of I amness did I miss while pursuing what I thought was eternal? Never forget driving into Chicago a few years ago. I was going to be preaching that following morning at a, at a church I'm connected with, and it's like a six, six and a half hour drive or something like that. And I typically fly when I speak, but I use, I always love that one because I take the, I just, I love that time in the car to really just think and pray. And um, I, was, I was kind of in a rough season of life, honestly. Not spiritually, not like in my relationships, but. Things had just been kind of rough. I don't know. You know, money was tight. Things were just, I don't know. You know, back in the day, I used to criticize preachers who talked about money. <laughs> there are those who do it to an extreme. But having passed through seasons like that in my own life, I've come to find that so many of the problems that drag us down in life, a very small increase of money in our lives could solve a lot of those things. And so it's like really... Why do we shy away from issues like that? It's real stuff, you know. And I was, in a, I was in a space like that, and things were just rough. And they had been rough for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, I was present. I, I, was, I was 
spiritually speaking, I was doing good. My relationship with my family was good. But there was just, I don't know, just this kind of ache in me, you know, of just feeling inadequate and, you know, not one of those things you really verbalize or talk about, but it's there and it's kind of gnawing at you and it's affecting how you're interfacing with reality. And it was, and it was under the surface, but it was there. And uh, I remember getting about an hour away from my hotel and I just have, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by this thought that, wait, to the date, I was making this same drive a year ago, like literally, because it's usually the same time of year that I speak there. And I was like, I was making the same drive like a year ago. And it was like, and it was two years ago to the date that I was making the same drive. And I remembered that two years ago on that drive that I had really kind of resolved to do certain things in life, you know, and it was real serious and it was real intense in that moment. And I was really dead set on doing and accomplishing these couple of things. And none of them ever happened. And it was now two years later. And I was like, what happened? And I just realized that I was like missing two years. Like I could remember what happened. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? I can remember the daily activities of going to work, taking my kids to school, doing the stuff that I do. I mean, I, could, I knew those things happened. But there was nothing about those two years that was like, I am. It was just, where the heck did that time go? Like, what? I mean, literally, I was aghast. I, I, was, I was gobsmacked by the fact that time, it was just like, it was like I just jumped two years, and I was here now, and I was like, what happened? And it was because the way that I was living was more based on contempt than it was contentment. I was not dwelling and abiding in that I amness. I was dwelling and abiding in I was. Things didn't used to be this way. And how can I make things now in the future the way they we're here, and, but I'm here, and I'm just, uh, and all the while, nothing, the bush is just burning up, and the days are just going, 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 going. Two, I mean, two years pass, and I'm like, I don't even remember, the, I, don't, I don't even remember what happened. Nothing noteworth, noteworthy that stands out to me. Did noteworthy things happen? Of course they did but they were just gone to me. It was like they just, it was like I lost two years. I'm not, it was, I was devastated. And that's when I really started to think about some of this stuff. And I, I thought about those moments I described to you that I can, I can go back to in a moment. I can time travel there in a moment. I'm there. I'm in the living room watching my daughter, the sun streaming through, the charcoal briquettes, everything. I'm there at Disney World, pushing my son in the stroller, the feeling of the, the, the grips, everything. I'm there. Boom. Those moments never die. It's like they're always right here. But then two full years, just gone. I mean, if I thought hard enough, I could recall some events, but you know what I'm saying. It was like the way that I was living, the way that I was, I was approaching things and looking at things caused that filter to be like doubled and tripled and quadrupled and I always was existing with eternity right there, but it was not making its way to me. And it just was gone. See, time time doesn't have to be your enemy. Time was created 
for us to use. But we're often used by it instead. And life goes by, and we don't know where the time went. And I'm not just talking the normal way we talk about things, like, man, that happened so fast, of course. But I'm talking about in the interim, you know, are there those moments? Are there those moments that are just bushes that burn but aren't consumed that make you take your shoes off and back up in holy awe? Is your life marked by those moments? Or is your life marked by, I don't know, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I was there and now I'm here and where did the time go? See, when you live a life of love, that's I am. Because I'm in love with where I'm at. I'm in love with the moment I'm in. I am. I love this. I don't love maybe necessarily everything that's happening, but I can fall in love with this moment in some way because I can, I can even if I'm just, listen to me, I don't care if I got to tell myself a story. I'll tell myself a story that somehow what's going on right now is preparing me for something that I need to be prepared for. Therefore, I can love this moment. Nietzsche wrote, you know, what if one day or night a demon came to you and told you that this life that you've lived up until this very moment, Nietzsche was an existential philosopher, so I mean, this is just a thought experiment, but he's like, what if a demon came to you one day or night and told you that every moment you've lived of this life, you're going to have to live again endlessly over and over and over and over again. You're going to have to relive this same life that you've lived endlessly. It'll never end just over and over and over and over and over again. You're going to have to relive this life over and over and over again. What, how would you respond? He's like, that demon, what, what would appear to you like a demon telling you this, could be transformed into an angel or into a god in your sight if you were living in such a way that even though there were rough times that you had to endure, you had lived in moments so fully that you would go through everything to be back to those moments. He's like, that, that demon could be transformed to an angel to you by telling you the same thing if you were living your life a certain way. Because you'd do anything to relive those moments again, even all the bad stuff. But if that comes to you and it sounds like a horrible, terrifying notion, maybe you need to look at how you're living. <laughs> maybe you need to look at how you are interacting with reality, how you are interfacing with creation and with those around you. Amen. Time doesn't have to be your enemy. Time doesn't have to be your adversary. Time doesn't have to be against you. It doesn't have to have you up against the wall all the time. Time does not have to fill you with dread. It can be a beautiful friend. It can be a beautiful partner that you walk through life with knowing that when I live in love with what I am, where I am, who I am, who I'm surrounded by, I'm thinning the filter and I'm allowing eternity to stream through and it's possible to live a life that is just one I am moment. Amen. But when I'm not living in love, it doesn't matter how marked by the supernatural it seems to be. It doesn't matter how in service to God it seems to be. It all comes to an end. But even the smallest, most seeming insignificant moment of your life that's done with love, that is eternal. And that does not end. So how are we living? <laughs> you know? 
And this isn't, I'm not trying to be like heavy or condemning or anything. I'm just, just asking a question. Because we've been given a gift that we often view as a curse. But see, the thing that we think of as the curse is typically the thing that contains the blessing. We're just taught to look at things a certain way and so we don't see it. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's the principle. So the thing you see as being your adversary actually contains the gift you're after. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they see past all that and they see what? They see God. Blessed are those who have had the blinders removed and can see past the lie that something is adversarial because they see through it and they see a gift. So here's my call to you today. Love where you are at. Years later, Nietzsche, the same one who put forth the thought experiment about eternal recurrence and having to live the same moment over and over and over again, he came to a different conclusion. And he said, I want nothing more in this life than to be a yes-sayer. That's all I want. I want to be a yes-sayer. I don't, I don't even want to say no to the no-sayers. I just want to be one who says yes. And then quoting the Stoics, he says, amor fati, which means a love of one's fate. He's like, that's all I want. He realized the answer to his own problem that he put forth was to simply fall in love with who you are, what you are, where you are, who you're surrounded by, and you are free to find a way to make that work. But when you can fall in love with it, that's when the eternal seeps through. And that's when you, I am. So, speaking of time, mine has come to an end. I am. I am. Thank you.